Thank you, Brother Joe, for such an excellent, excellent job in leading uh, singing. I, for many years, have led singing, and I told you I'd rather preach ten sermons than to lead one song I love. I sang my way through high school and college, and then I led the singing at Forest Park for many years, and I still do a few gospel meetings. As a matter of fact, I've got a lectureship in Montgomery I do every year where I lead the singing, and Forest Park will be having its 50th anniversary, and I will go back and lead singing there. But I appreciate you so much. As I have said, good singing goes a long way when it comes to mediocre preaching. It seems we just get started, and before you know it, it's time we have to say goodbye. I can't express to you what a joy it is for me to be with you. I do miss my Fayetteville family so much while I'm gone, regardless of where I've gone. I talked to Ellie uh, just before I got here, and uh, she said, when are you coming home? I said, I'm coming home tonight. She said, good, your wife has gone crazy. She's put me on restriction twice since you've been gone. I took note of that. She said, your wife has gone crazy. So I'll have to get home and settle all those domestic dis disputes and all that. Not really. Uh, but, and I talked to some folks at Fayetteville today, and I'm looking forward to being home, but I do truly, truly, and I say it with all the kindness and humility that I can muster, count it an honor to be with you and to be with you uh, our third time in a row. You just don't know what that means to me. I do count Olive Branch as my Mississippi home. And I look forward to our time together in the future, if not here, in eternity. I appreciate your elders. Not only have they been good shepherds, they have also been very hospitable this week. And I have really enjoyed the short time, but it doesn't take a lot of time to be around Brother Mike to know what kind of man he is. And I have enjoyed my time with him and look forward to ventures together in the future. Tonight I want to leave you with a message that I believe wraps up what we've been studying this week. You've heard me say it every time I've been in this pulpit that I believe that God is positioning His church, the church that Jesus built, with an opportunity to obtain greatness in this generation. I believe that things are happening in the world I believe that what people have once been able to hold on to for security, for stamina, for that which gives them identity is disappearing. And people are looking for something of substance. And I believe that the only thing that has any substance worth holding on to is God. And I believe that we have the prime opportunity. I want you to just think with me for just a minute about eternity. I think a lot about that day. A good friend of mine and a mentor in my life, a missionary by the name of Robert Martin, he and I started this several years ago. We were on the island called Christmas Island. And if you've ever heard that song, Do You Want to Spend Christmas on Christmas Island? Trust me, you don't. I've been there. 
Uh, only thing there is old World War II Army barracks for the British. They call it a hotel now. And there's about seven or 8,000 people there who are very receptive to the gospel. Uh, the commercial interest is coconut and fishing. And Robert and I would be, after we would hold a Bible class at night for the brethren there, would be going back to that hotel in pitch black dark. The only other place I've been in Tanzania, Africa, and that's the darkest place I've ever been in my life. But next to that is Christmas Island. And Robert and I would discuss, do you want to be one that is caught up in the air with him, or do you want to be one that is raised from the grave? when the Lord comes back. And we'd discuss that, and, and it really doesn't matter, but we'd get to dreaming about that day. About that day when God gathers all of us home, when all of us who have ever inhabited this terrestrial ball stand before the judgment seat of God, and one of two things will be said, Well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. Depart from me, I never knew you. One of those two things will be heard. And those of us who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb had our sin problem handled by God's Son. We've been surrendered to the cross. Remember what we talk about surrendering. Surrender our will to His. And we've been obedient to the cross. Romans chapter 6. We've had our sins washed away. And we've lived a life that has been that of faithful service to Him. He says enter in. Can you imagine the homecoming? Can you imagine being there and seeing those people that we read about in this holy text? Can you imagine being there with Abraham, Moses, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the great people who we read about in the Bible? Mary, Jesus' mother. You get to talk to Titus and Timothy, Bartholomew, Matthew, and I get to see those people that I've known, that I've held and touched, those who meant so much to me in my life, those who were mentors, had a strong impact. And I get to thinking about being able to see our daughter that's gone on over to the other side and to see my dad and to see my mama again. Oh, what a reunion. But more than that, to see my Savior. As I put this study together and I looked at reactivating Acts, it's cultivated a special place in my heart for my first century brethren who took the gospel to every creature. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 23. And added to my list of I can't wait to see are my first century brethren who will stand in the shadows of that got the job done. And brethren, I am convinced that we can stand with them as equals, those of us in this generation, that we can stand in eternity's portals praising God throughout all the ages as equals of those having gotten the gospel to everyone in the world. I believe we can do it. 
And as we sum up this meeting where we have discussed the fact that we have got to understand we can do it. And we've got to come out from behind closed doors scared to death of what might happen if we do and we've got to let Jesus step into our lives. And then we've got to have the attitude that we're going to do it against all odds. And we've got to be fearless in getting the job done. Fear cannot rule us for when it does, it makes us inadequate, it paralyzes us, and it keeps us from moving forward. We've got to go from fearful to fearless. We've got to understand that New Testament Christianity, the church, is not in brick and mortar, but is in flesh and blood. Folks, we've got to get the mindset out of our head that we invite them to come to us. We are a going people and we must go to them. And tonight I want to sum it up by demonstrating what is the drawing power. A friend of mine told me of a billboard he saw driving in Alabama. It's when cell phones were just becoming popular and the billboard said, if you will come and go to church with us this Sunday and it gave a date, you will receive a free cell phone. Word was that that place was overwhelmed with people. In Fayette County where I work, you drive down the main thoroughfare of that county, Highway 54, goes and connects the northern end to the southern end of the county as you move westward. There's a group of people who are call themselves a church, and they have a sign out front that says, Welcome to the friendliest church in Fayette County. I don't know who did the survey. I don't know how they got that determination. I don't know, but they got a big sign out front. I know I didn't vote that says that they're the friendliest church. Just the other day, rode by a building where people who are claiming to be a church meet, and it said, sign broken, come inside to see what we've got. And brethren, today within the brotherhood, we have people who are doing gimmicks, who are doing things, who are doing faddish things to try to draw a crowd. And I believe that we need to be all things to all people so that we might win some, Brother Paul said, but I think we need to replace our emphasis on the true drawing power. I'm not against friends and family day. We had one at Fayetteville just a month ago, and it was a grand success. 625 were there. We fed 554 people that day. We had a great day. I'm not against that. I'm not against a church picnic and inviting your friends to come. I'm not against vacation Bible school and inviting the neighborhood children to come. But what I am against is when we make that the focus and the drawing power. You show me one place in the book of Acts to where anything other than the true and only genuine drawing power was demonstrated, and I'll do it. But I only see one thing. 
And that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. They didn't go about preaching opinions. They didn't have great debates to where they could draw a crowd. They didn't go about preaching this, that, this or that, this type of worship, that type of worship. They didn't have on their signs contemporary or traditional. I'm so confused, y'all. New Testament worship is neither. It's an attitude that manifests itself in a behavior that is outlined in God's Word. And yet, we have worship wars among us. I don't know how we get so confused over that. Our calling card is Supper with the King. On the first day of the week, we come together assembly. We gather around that table and we use the fruit of the vine and the unleavened bread as outlined for us. And then we sing, and that's where we express our emotional being to God in singing. And if you sing correctly, it is effort has to go into it. I appreciate you, Brother Joe, for helping them how to sing better. Get that book out from in front of your face. Now, some of you need to keep it up there because you got this old scrawl on your face and you sit there and you sing about how happy you are to be in Jesus. If you'll change your attitude, then drop the book. Singing is the way we express our emotions to God and we do it joyfully. And then we go to God for conversation, prayer, and take Him our wants and our needs and our supplications. And we talk with God. And we find time in that we come together assembly to gather together the results of God's blessings in a collection. We meet God in His Word. I don't understand how we get so confused and we try to make the drawing power a style of worship, contemporary or traditional. I think we're confused. The early church didn't have those battles going on. The early church didn't use that for a drawing card. They didn't use gimmicks of physical plants. And who had the biggest, nicest, most modern building? They didn't battle sound systems. The early church used Jesus and Him alone as their drawing power. You see, they weren't afraid to talk about Jesus the Christ and Him crucified. And they weren't afraid to address sin because that's what they were against. You didn't go to a first, ten, first, cent, first century assembly and hear them talking about what all they were against. Everybody knew what they were against. They were against sin. And you didn't go to a first century Christian and they give you a list of rules and regulations to follow in order to be a part of the movement. The movement of New Testament Christianity. They told you about Jesus and Him crucified. And here we are trying to do everything under the sun but the one thing that God promises us will be the drawing power, and we lift up everything except that thing, and that's Jesus and Him crucified. Shame on us, starting with me. 
Shame on us. Notice the personal pronouns I'm using. Shame on us, starting with me, when anybody comes into our presence, whether it be in the assembly, whether it be on the street, wherever it be, anytime, and they not see Jesus. No, we'll put up our business card. We'll tell them about our building. We'll tell them about the events we've got going on and not mention Jesus. Shame on us, starting with me. Take your copy of the text and go to 1 Corinthians. I want to demonstrate from the first century this very principle. I challenge you to read through the book of Acts. Whether it was down by the river with a lady, it was Jesus that was preached. Whether it was in a jailhouse during an earthquake, it was Jesus that was preached. Whether or not it was in an assembly of educated people out on the side of a hill where they had several monuments, it was Jesus that was preached. Whether or not it was in jail or in house prison and people came to you, it was Jesus that was preached. Nothing else. Brother Paul reconfirms that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know this church. Man, wouldn't you hate to be a member of this church today? It would confuse people. They wouldn't know whether to call you liberal or conservative. You look at Corinth. In some aspects, they were so conservative, they were legalistic. You look at some aspects of what they were doing, and they were so far out there, they were so free with whatever goes, goes. If you're okay, I'm okay type of religion to where they had fornicators among in their assembly. Our brethren would have a heyday in trying to identify this bunch today. But here's what Paul said to them in answering their questions, attempting to correct them. He said in verse 23, after he's dealt with their division, notice the conjunction and notice the personal pronoun, but we preach. That word means to herald, make known. It's close akin to confess. It, it, it's to put a message out there. But we preach Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's an identifying title, Christos, the anointed one, the one sent. We preach Christ crucified. How? We preach Christ crucified. Wait a minute. Can't we preach Him as the victorious King coming in to Jerusalem with the palm leaves being laid down? Can't we preach Him as that type of person, the one who led the great parade to Jerusalem? Can't we preach Him as the one children loved and flocked to? Can't we preach Him as the one who could feed thousands with just a little bit? Can't we preach Him as the one who raised the dead and walked on the water? Why no, that's not what Paul said. Paul says we preach Christ, we herald Christ, the anointed one, how? Crucified. Because it's in that crucifixion that he shed his blood and his blood is what paid your sin debt. He said unto the Jews it's a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks it's foolishness. 
He didn't stop there demonstrating what the drawing power of the New Testament Christianity was. He went on in chapter 2 and he said it again, beginning in verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came unto you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined, I made my mind up, not to know anything among you. As far as you were concerned, the only thing I knew was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You see, church, when we preach Jesus, we will evangelize this world. And when we evangelize this world and we plant that old gospel seed, it will produce Christians. I know that Jesus said that the way to destruction is broad and the way to life is narrow. And I know that the vast majority of people is, if history is predictive of what the future will be, the vast majority of people will reject the message. But I want to tell you something, folks. Don't be fooled. I've worked in human behavior for more than two decades. And the most predictable thing about human behavior is it's unpredictable. Just because this is the way I've always done it don't mean it's the way I'm going to do it next time. That's because we're human. Don't think and make the assumption that when you spread the message that the majority won't hear, we've got to assume the best. That's what New Testament love does. It assumes the best. And we've got to lift up our eyes and listen to what Jesus said and look, John 4, for the fields are what? White unto harvest. The more planting we do, the more harvest God will give. And we've got to plant and plant and plant. And when we plant, we will have harvest. And it will be an abundant harvest. For when we plant and we evangelize, God will provide for us a harvest. And then we must equip. Where does equipping take place? Equipping takes place in the ecclesia, the church. You can't preach Christ without preaching His church. You can't separate the two. Christ is the head of the church, which is His body, Paul said. You can't separate the body and the head. If you do, neither one of them functions. So when we preach Christ, we preach Him crucified. We preached Him raised. Remember in Acts chapter 16, I believe it is, the Philippian jailer toward the end of the chapter, and they wanted to learn more about this. The Scripture says that they, Paul and Silas, went and preached unto Him the Lord. Do you think the eunuch went away ignorant of the body of Christ that God had added him to? I don't think so. So when we preach Christ, we preach the church. The church that Jesus built. Matthew chapter 16, you've heard it. Who do men say that I am? 
Well, some say that you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Bible, John the Baptist. Some say you're this prophet or that prophet. Well, who do you say that I am? And I like it. Oh, Peter stood up. Peter's quite a character, isn't he? He's on my to see list when I get to heaven. And the first thing I'm going to ask him was, what did it feel like to walk on water? And the next thing I'm going to say, what did it feel like to be getting your foot out of your mouth all the time? And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Notice the pronouns. Thou art the Christ. The definite article V. The Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood hadn't revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock, the fact that I am the Son of God, I will build my church. Notice the pronoun. I will build my singular church. Ecclesia, called out. A body of believers. A community where the saved dwell. And if we're going to evangelize the world, we must be prepared to equip those who have responded. And we do that in the church. How do I do that? It's real easy. We point them to the Word. Go with me to 2 Peter. I want to show you something. We don't have time to exegete all of this, but I want you to look at something. And brethren... We think we got to find gimmicks. We think we got to find programs. We think we got to find this and that to make it work, when in reality, we've already been given that which will make it work. What will make the church grow? Simon Peter, chapter 1, verse 1, a servant, doulos, that is the lowest level servant, the slave, the volunteer slave. An apostle, that means he's one sent, one sent of Jesus Christ to them who have obtained. I love that aorist tense of the original language of, of, of obtained. I challenge you to go look at it. It thrills my heart to see it. We don't understand that aorist tense in our English language. Most times it's translated past tense. But in the original language, it's past, present, and future. Do you know that because of that word that is used here, that this inspired epistle not only had those early saints in the first century's address on it, but it has your address on it too. It was written to you. For those who have all obtained, those who are obtaining, and those who will obtain, that's us. Like precious faith, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace are made multiplied unto you and through the knowledge of, the, of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 3. And according to His divine power, that dynamo, has given unto us all things. That word all means all right there. All means all. It doesn't mean a part of some. It means all have given us according to His divine 
power has given us all things that pertain to life. That's Zoe. That's spiritual life. We have physical life, emotional life, and spiritual life. Everything we need for spiritual life. That's the life that Jesus was talking about in John 10. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's the life he's talking about. Spiritual life. Everything we need. When we evangelize, we'll have a harvest. And we must equip that harvest to live in this present world. And where do we do it? We do it in the church. How do we do it? We do it through the Word because He's given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. You go study that Word in its original language and you take it down to its lowest denominator of what it means. And it means to worship well. Everything we know, need to have to honor Him, to worship Him, to have our life in the right direction, giving the honor to the right person, and everything we need for spiritual life. We equip them in the church with the Word. And then, we equip them with Jesus we evangelize them with Jesus and then we edify them with Jesus. Folks, if we're going to get the word out, we must be together more than we have ever been in the past. And edification requires togetherness. If the only dose of church folks you're getting is on Sunday and Wednesday. You're not following the prescription laid out by God. We are to continually be together in fellowship. We have so much modern technology today that there's no reason that we shouldn't have some type of personal contact with one another Every day. Now, I'm not talking about everybody in touch with everybody. We can't do that. But everybody ought to hear from somebody. We got emails. I'm not talking about the junk email. I get more junk email than I know what to do with it. Matter of fact, I'm not even a real techno guru. And I'm so proud I learned early on what delete means. Text messaging. Y'all wouldn't mind giving a class on how to text, would you? I'm looking at the teenagers for you. Y'all all know how to text, don't you? Y'all got now where you can do it without even looking at it, don't you? Matter of fact, some of y'all probably been doing it tonight, hadn't you? <laughs> I know some of your names, but I don't know all of them, so I just have to point you out. But if I catch you doing it, I'll point you out. <laughs> if you don't believe it, ask the kids at Fayetteville. But y'all be willing to help us. Do you know I get a text every day from one of our young people at Fayetteville? We war in prayer for each other. We have somebody every day that we pray about. And Autumn sends me a text, as does she with everybody at Fayetteville, to remind us every morning who we're to pray for that day. 
Sometimes I text her back, and sometimes she texts me back. I have a hard time texting. These little fat fingers have a hard time on an IBM Selectric, much less a little phone that does like this. But we have technology to where we can text, where we can email, telephone. How many of you got your telephone on you right now? Don't lie, I know you do. I left mine in the car. I used to be attached to it. I stayed on call 24-7, and I used to keep it with me all the time, and now I don't take it with me when I go, go to church, when I go into the assembly or when I go at the building because people know I'm there and they can get me there. The rest of the time it stays with me pretty regularly. Can't you pick up the phone and call somebody? You might make some person's day who hadn't been feeling well just by a phone call. Don't be surprised at first when you start this daily contact that you're not wondering when you get contacted, well, I wonder what they wanted. You'll get to where you expect it and realize that you really need it. When's the last time you men, I know this is hard for you, but you see it time and time again in the first century. When's the last time you told somebody you loved them? I'll even throw your wife in on that one. When's the last time you looked at one of your shepherds? And listen to this. They are Holy Spirit appointed. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. Of whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Paul talking to the Ephesus elders. When's the last time you told one of these men who when they accepted that responsibility as a shepherd would lay down their life for you? When's the last time you told one of them you loved them? You see, if we're going to keep edified, we're not only going to get on to each other, we're going to build each other up. Go with me to Romans 12. I want you to look at something. And this lesson and this meeting will then be yours. In Romans chapter 12, Brother Paul, in this great, great letter, he begins to give us how to do things. He shares with us the doctrine, and I believe it reaches its climax of doctrinal teaching in Romans chapter 8. And then we see the plea for Israel, where they were, where they are, and where they're going to be. And then in chapter 12, he begins to give us practical how-to. Now that I'm convinced I'm in this body, I'm free from the law, I have this new freedom in Christ that I experience in the church, how do I live? And he gives us, oh man, he gives us several commandments here, imperative statements. And then he says something in chapter 12 and verse 12 that I want you to see. He says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. In honor preferring one another. Now this doesn't mean that when you're out in public at the mall or at the ball field or at the malt shop or wherever you might be and you see a brother or sister, you just throw your hand up and say, hey, how you doing? That's not what he's talking about there. It's a much, much more intimate level of camaraderie that he's making reference to. It means that we are to outdo one another in lifting one another up. 
those of you who are in leadership, I'm not only talking to Brother Mike and to your shepherds and to Brother Scotty, but other people who've taken on leadership roles. Wouldn't it be nice if you could leave the building just one time and not have heard one teardown? You could have pitched that song a little lower, brother, and we might have all could have sang it. I'm reminded of the preacher. He had done everything that he could. And no matter how hard he worked, somebody had to always tear him down. He thought he had finally got it. He walked out the door and this lady who always complained said, You know what? That's the best lesson I've heard on that subject. And he thought, man, I've got it. And then she said, since our last preacher was here. You know, sometimes it'd be nice if we didn't get complained at. But you know what would be more scriptural and more New Testament is that if we did everything we could to build one another up, to where it became almost that we tried to outdo one another in building one another up. And in reality is, we're so insecure in our spiritual skin that we tear everybody down. Listen to this. Remember the greatest commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind and the seconds like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That is an invalid, done away with command. And I'm glad it is. Because I believe we've taken the second part of that, love thy neighbor as thyself, to heart. And the way we love each other determines how I love myself, then I don't think too highly of myself observing the way some people treat our brethren and treat each other. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Remember there in the upper room? A new commandment I give. Love one another as I have loved you. He washed their stinking nasty feet and then died for them. That church is what we must be about in edifying one another. I don't use the way I think about myself as the standard as the way I think about you because the devil's done everything he could to instill in us low self-value. The standard that I love you by is the standard that Jesus loved me by. Therefore, I don't mind washing your stinking nasty feet. And not as a shepherd, but as a brother if the need arises to die for you. When we evangelize and use Jesus as the drawing power, when we equip and we use his word as the equipping power, and when we edify and we use his love as the standard, We'll have a church that if it were brick and mortar, we couldn't build a building big enough to put everybody in because that church 
will compass this whole world. That's the drawing power. Jesus and Jesus alone. Him crucified. His word is our standard for what we do. And his love is our standard for how we love one another. That, my friends, will grow the church. I am so proud that I can put Olive Branch, the church that meets at Olive Branch, on my place of, on my list of places where I belong. The growth that you have experienced in my time with you has been encouraging. But if God wills and our path cross again, I pray that you will allow these lessons to permeate your heart, not because they're mine, but because they're from God's Word. And when our paths cross again, that your numbers be multiplied beyond measure because we've activated the book of Acts. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, your journey has not begun. You can become a Christian through obedience. Your obedience will take you to the place where God will save you, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, changing your direction, confessing your belief in Jesus as the Son of God and Lord of your life. Be immersed and have your sins washed away. You'll come up a brand new creature. Live a life of service and faithfulness in surrender to Him. Heaven will be your home. If you're here today and your surrender has gone away and you're not surrendered to anything other than the world and its pleasures, if you're one of God's children, He's waiting on you to come home. And I beg you to come home tonight. With a repentant heart, God will forgive you and He'll put a robe on you and a ring on you finger and shoes on your feet and kill the fatted calf. That's what was in the parable for the child that came home. If you're here tonight and you want to recommit, you're already a Christian and you're living life faithfully, but you want to recommit to growing the church God's way. If we can help you in that endeavor, we want to pray for you. We want to join in that. Whatever we can do as God helps us all, please come forward while together we stand in sin. Someday you'll stand at the bar on high. Someday your record you'll see. Someday you'll answer the question of life. What will your answer be? What shall it be? What will it be? Where will you spend your eternity? What will it be? Oh, what will it be? What will your answer be? Sadly, you'll stand if you're unprepared. Trembling, you'll fall on your knee. Facing the center.